0: Hi, y'all may have been expecting a slightly taller and vastly skinnier uh, speaker today. But our dear Pastor Daniel Thiel had some um, medical complications. So he's back. Don't worry, praise the Lord. The Lord has done wonderful uh, healing work in his life. But let us cover him in prayer before we start the sermon, okay? Let us pray for Pastor Daniel Thiel. Father, we thank you for Pastor Daniel and we thank you for your servant, We thank you that you have upheld him and also healed him uh, tremendously. But Lord, we pray for a complete healing of his body that you would seal every wound and restore him once again to full health. We commit him to your hands and praise you for his life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So hi, you have me. (laughs) And this sermon, I want to start us off with a story. So uh, at the start of this year, I met a very rich man. And how do I know he was very rich? By the fifth sentence, he said this to me. He said, I'm moving into my GCB. Okay, I've never heard that my whole life. I know people who live in GCB. I've never heard them tell me that. right? And then, so for those that are of us that might not know, GCB is good class bungalow. There are only a few lots in Singapore and they all belong to the 1%. So if you're not the 1%, don't you think so much. Right, their house is very big. And so, uh, I knew he was very rich. I sat down across and we started talking because what I wanted from him was for him to teach me a skill, teach me to integrate my skill set with that of coaching. And as I was staring into his eyes, our conversation came to a point where he asked me one question. He asked me, do you want to live a life like Jesus? Who wants to live a life like Jesus? yes, yes. All those full of faith and goodness, he has placed a lot for you. But let me tell you the preamble that he, he told me before, uh, before he asked me this question. He said, Jesus was a, poor, was a poor his whole life. His life full of poverty, no money for anything. He had to run away from people who were persecuting his whole life. Right? Everybody wanted to kill him, he ran away. No place to call home, no place to lay his head. And at last, they caught him. They beat him blindfolded. They put him on the cross and killed him by torture. Do you want to live that life? Whoa. What do you think he, this is the answer he expected? So obviously in my heart, he knew I was, a, I was a pastor by the way. In my heart I was like, whoa, I tell you. And now today you're going to learn you hidden. I'm going to tell you what Christian made of. Right? And I was like, the, the fury of the Lord boiling up in my heart is going to come out already. And I was like, hmm is that you, the Lord, speaking? Are you asking me to call fire down on this person? And of course not. That was my pride. My pride wanted to answer him straight away. But I calmed that down and I, I just kept quiet. a look in his eyes and I prayed very silently at that moment. I said, Lord, how could I answer this man? And he said, answer him like you would answer me. Answer him like you would answer me. And so, I ask us this question today. If God came to you and said, Jesus' life was full of persecution, was full of poverty, was full of pain, and at the end, he died, do you want to live a life like Jesus? Knowing that when God asks you this question, if you say yes and no, he will give you what you want. What would your answer be? And so I want us to keep this question in mind even as we pray for the sermon. Last pray. May the words of my lips, O Lord, and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when I hear this question, right, do you want to live a life like Jesus? What the meaning that comes to my mind is like, If I was given a choice, would I like to follow Jesus as closely as possible in my life? That means, right, that given a choice, if Jesus stepped one footstep, then he stepped on, right? Would I want to take my foot and put in the same footstep? Then wait, put in the next footstep. That's what occurs to me. Would I want to follow Jesus as closely as humanly possible? And as I was thinking about it, a story came to mind. And this is a story of a master builder. In a place far, far away, in a long, long time, long time ago, there was a master builder, and he was a great builder of houses. He was great at building doors. Every time he built a door, if you go through that door, you feel like you enter Narnia. Whoa! And then when you go out the door, you feel like you enter Narnia again. Whoa! Because it's so beautiful. And he was also he was also excellent at building rooms. No room was too big or too small. No room was too cold or too warm. Every room. Was perfect for its use. The kitchen was nice and warm and all that. Right? And he was also an excellent builder of beds. They were flat, they were nice, they were comfortable. The moment you lie down on it, Siemens will come and film their advertisement. He was a great house, home builder, the greatest in the land. And so his name, of course, spread because he was great, and people wanted them to build a house build their houses, but people also wanted to learn from him. And there was one such man, his name was Atik. And Atik had just graduated from wherever he did. He was a young and upcoming craftsman. He said, I want to be just like this great home builder. And so he ran to the home builder and said, Master, take me as your disciple. And so the master looked him up and down. He said, okay, got some good arms, got some good legs, seemed like very enthusiastic and I need more people anyway because the laborers are few. So he say, okay, Atik, you come with me. Whatever I do, you do. Whatever I see, you see. And you just follow me every step of the way. And in no time, you'll be just like me. Atik is very happy. The master is very happy. So let's go to work. So the first project came and went. The second project came and went. The third project came and went. And the master started noticing something. It you was know, just two things, actually. The first thing, Atik never do any work. <laughs> Atik just, he walk around. But, another pe- peculiar thing was that he walk around until the master finished building. The master finished building a door. And then Atik will suddenly appear and he'll say, amazing door. How beautiful. Great are the doors my master makes. And then when, when the master built a room, any room, Atik will suddenly appear again. And he'll say, amazing room. How beautiful. Great are the rooms my master built. Right? And you do this for every room someone. No? So the master said, whoa, very noisy. And so when the master built the bed, what do you, Atik I, I will spend the whole day in the bed. And do you know what he will say? Anyone can guess? Amazing. No! He won't say anything. He's asleep. So what do you think the master should tell Atek? Should he call Atek to him and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Although you do nothing, you sing very well. Would the master say that to Atek? Or will the master sit down with Atek and say, Ateg, I hired you for the work. If you want to be my disciple, you have to do what I do. And here is the same with following Jesus. We must do, if we want to follow him, we want to be his disciple, we must do what he did and not just live in the house he built. I'm going to say that again because it's very important. We must do what he did, not just live in the house that he built. And thankfully, Jesus actually tells us what he did, which brings us to our text today Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. To 20. So here, when I, read the, when I read the text, what I would like us to do is when I, when I reach the red words, you just read those red words with me, okay? Okay. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these covenants and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what did Jesus come to do? He said, as much He said, first, I did not come to destroy. The Greek word up there is Means, which essentially means to destroy. But what does that really mean? It means to end the effect or validity of something, that is to put an end to it, or to cause to be no longer in force. In other words, to abolish its effects. And the first thing Jesus said is that, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to end the effectiveness of that law or the force of it for who? Not for the unbelievers, but for us. Here he was talking to the disciples. And what did he say? He said, I did not come to do this. Then he followed it up with, I come to fulfill the law. The Greek word there is plerousai. Also means to fulfill. But here in this context, it has two meanings. The first is to fulfill himself. That means Jesus fulfills all the law. And we know this is true. His whole life was a fulfillment of the law, perfect fulfillment. The second meaning is this. He, was, he came to show us, to tell us, to express to us the perfect law of God. You know, in that verse in, in Matthew five seventeen to 20, at the end, it says, unless your righteousness seeds that are of the Pharisees and the scribes, you assuredly, assuredly you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was trying to tell us that if you obey the laws as inscribed on the stone tablets, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He was trying to tell us that he was here to give us a perfect law. And he also said that not one jot or one t- to ex to really emphasize this. He said, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. And I want to show us, uh, that will be later. I want to show us this first. And I want us to do this first, okay? Um, So just keep in mind first that Jesus said that he came to fulfill, not to destroy, but to fulfill. So I want us to act it out because when we act it out, then we can remember. So you see this? You see this, uh, this picture? What I want us to do is when I say destroy, you do one thing. You do this. Okay? And then when I say fulfill, you do this. Okay? Okay? Everybody okay? So I'm going to count one, two, three, and then we're going to do it, okay? One, two, three. Destroy! Fulfill! Destroy! Fulfill! Oh, yeah! See, everybody in agreement now? Huh? Great. Yeah, and to emphasize this, like I was saying, Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle will pass away. And what is a jot or a tittle, right? So here, you have Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. And this is the Shema, the great Shema, the great call of Israel. O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And here, of course, here you see, these are the Hebrew. Lots of jots and tittles, okay? But I want us to look at the. I want us to look at these these alphabets, right, in particular. Because in Jesus' time, there's none of this at the bottom or at the side or on top, right? So, in particular, I want us to look at some of the jots and titles. Here, you have a yod, right? This is the Y of the Hebrew alphabet. And here, you have a vav. This is the V or W of the Hebrew alphabet. The yod, of course, looks like well, it looks like a jotla, right? Just a little comma there, put in the wrong place. And then here, you have a vav, which is, a, if you add a vav to the yod, you end up, or you add a tittle to the yod, you end up with a vav. Now, I ask you, does anybody know what this word is? Yod he, vav he. And if you think that sounds familiar, you'll be right. It means Yahweh. If you take out, this title over here, does it spell Yahweh anymore? It doesn't. If you take out this yod over here, it no longer spells Yahweh at all. And the whole of the law is abolished. This is what Jesus meant. But not one jot or one tittle will be taken away from the law. Instead, this will remain until heaven and earth pass away. In other words, until Jesus comes back for us. Anyone who tells you otherwise will be called least in the kingdom of God. And anyone who teaches us to obey these laws will be called great in the kingdom of God. So how do I know that Jesus was here to give us the perfect law over, even above this Mosaic law? Well, Jesus actually had a formula in the whole of Matthew 5. And it will start something like this. It will say, you have heard but I say to you, and you can see it throughout, throughout, the whole, uh, throughout the whole chapter, right? Verse 21, 22, 27, 28, 31, 32, and so on, so on, so on. It always goes to say, you have heard the Mosaic law, but I say to you, Jesus' perfect law. And so this is what Jesus came to do. He wanted us all, our righteousness, each and every one of us, to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes who doggedly followed rules inscribed on stone. He wanted our righteousness to exceed them by inscribing these laws in our hearts. And through it, he gave us the... And to express this in clearer terms, he actually gave us some examples. The first example of which is murder. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 22, Jesus gives us the first example of what he's talking about as the perfect law. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause will be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay, so, who drove here today? Anybody drove? Did you meet any idiot drivers? <laughs> Hellfire! <laughs> Hellfire! So, first of all, Jesus starts off with murder, which is like really quite a leap. And one thing I hate when people are trying to convince me of something is when they blow things out of proportion. Right? They, you know, you anger your brother. Oh, you are a murderer. Then straight away, that loses me. But ask you this, this Bible quiz question. Why is the first sin that you find in the Bible that humans commit against one another? Where? See, see, thank you. See. see. Murder. Murder is the first sin that man ever commits against man. And we find this in Genesis chapter 4 verses 5 to 8. But the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, let's read this part together. Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel. His brother, And it came to pass that when they were in the field, let's read this together, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Jesus was not being, was not exaggerating. He was not being facetious. What Jesus was doing, he was being profoundly biblical. He was starting right at the beginning. Murder begins where? Right? Here, Does murder murder begin here when Cain rose up against his brother in the field and Clark brained him with his staff as traditionally is shown? Did murder occur there? Where did the sin of Cain first show its face? When Cain was very angry. When Cain was very angry, do you know what happened? Sin crouched at his door and lay in wait for him. Sin had its desire out for him. And although Cain committed the murder here, he was a murderer already in his heart. Because sin crouches at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Sin wants to play with you. And if you give in to sin, you will play with it as well. That's the first example, mother. The second example Jesus gives us is one of adultery. And here we read of it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, as a young man, uh, uh, I thought this was such an impossible, this is such an impossible rule. Cause I'll go around, I look at you know, really attractive girls, and I'll be like, wow, she's beautiful. Adulterer, adulterer, <laughs> right? I thought, what kind of crazy law is this? But let me, let me tell you something. Attraction is not lust. And how do we know this? Because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, before sin even entered the world, what did Adam say when he saw Eve? He said, this is the flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And what Adam meant was that? Wow! Wow! Right? He looked at Eve and said, this is an amazing woman. This is everything I wanted. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this. Help me. Was he filled with lust? No. He was praising God for God's gift for him. A wonderful helpmate. A helper of like kind. He was praising God. Attraction is not lust. Lust is something much, much more vulgar. Lust is is one thing. For example, David's son, Amnon, when he takes his sister, Tamar, and then after using her, dumps her aside. Why? Because he is satisfied and disgusted with her. That's is lust. Lust is when we are not interested in the other and we only want to use them as a tool for our own satisfaction. And once we are satisfied, we throw that tool away. That is lust. And of course, the Bible has a great example of this. And that is our friend here, King David. We find this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 to 4. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. This is David committing adultery. How many steps did it take him to commit adultery? Can you see? Never mind, I won't put you all through Bible class. There are are seven steps that David took. You know, it's interesting because the first step, right? If you see somebody naked, what's your first response? Your first response is to, ayah. You know, clothe yourself, put on something. You feel bad for them. You you feel like their dignity is impinged, right? You don't do what David did. David did this. You said, oh, oh. First step. Wrong already, right? Typically, you oh, never mind. Let me go and do something else. But David stand and beheld her, and he said she was very beautiful. He must have looked at her for a very long time. So after that, he can still forget it, right? Never mind, never mind, you know, pray to the Lord. But what did he do? After that, he sent messengers. Hey, go and find out who she is. By the way, David's already married. Ah. Yeah, he's already married. So, go and find out who she is. Then they go out, they go and look for her, they come back. Hey, David, this is Uriah's wife. Usually, ah, even if you are a hard-hearted man, you will say, okay, lah somebody else's wife (laughs) better not Right? it's just too much trouble but David was like oh okay bring her to me another step and then they brought her through the courts of the courts of the king another step and then she came before him another step and you know before the seventh step they even checked whether she was on her period how do you do that? There's a lot of time, you know, a lot of time for David to say no. A lot of time for David to repent. But no, David did not. And I ask this question, where did this sin of adultery start? Was it at number seven? No. David was adulterer at step one. Why? Because sin lies at the door of our heart. And its desire is for us. But we should rule over it. And the last example that we'll talk about, actually in, in the whole of Matthew 5, there are about six examples. However, there's not enough time to go through six. So we'll only go through three. The last example I'll talk about is divorce. And because divorce, this example is quite unique. And so let's read, out, let's read about it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery as well. So it's, this is quite unique because in, in, uh, in, this, in Deuteronomy 24, what he have is a provision for divorce. So there is actually a provision for divorce in the actual law, which says that all a man has to do to get a divorce, if a man marries a woman and finds her unfavorable in his sight, that means for any reason, uh, maybe she didn't fold the bed correctly, maybe she didn't bring him his shoe, maybe her food sucks, any reason, he can divorce her. And to divorce her, all he needs to do is write a certificate put it in her hand, say, bye-bye, get out of my house. And once she leaves the house, they are divorced. That is a provision. You know, in another gospel, Jesus said this, Moses allowed allowed for you to sign a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. And of course, in Genesis 2, we we heard about Genesis 2.23. In Genesis 2.24, it says, When a a man shall leave his house and and marry his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Such a high view of marriage the Bible has. How can it be undone with a simple certificate? And of course, in Malachi, further to this point, the prophet says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. Let's read this together Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Do you know that the Lord doesn't have it out for divorces or whatever. It's not particularly important What God hates is treachery What God hates is covenant breaking What God hates is betrayal and because marriage is the highest the highest bond we can form with another human being, there's only one bond that makes people one flesh. God hates that the most. Because it is the most egregious tr- betrayal and the most egregious treachery. God hates covenant breaking. And marriage is the highest covenant. That's why he hates it. But the remedy here is very interesting. It says, take heed to your spirit. He didn't say, take heed to your divorce certificate. He didn't say, write a more just divorce certificate. Make sure you give alimony. He didn't say that. He didn't didn't also say, make sure you give child support. He didn't say, make your certificate better. What did he say? Take heed to your spirit. Because the sin of treachery, betrayal, does not begin when you hand that certificate over and put it in the person's hand, it begins in the heart. Because sin lies at the door of our hearts and its desire is for us. But we are to rule over it. And of course, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that sin begins in the heart. And, it's so, and sin always crouches there, waiting to play with us hoping that we would play with it, to respond to it. And Jesus knew that if the problem starts in the heart, then the solution must be there as well. And that's why we get these verses from Matthew 5, verses 43 to 45 and verse 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Verse 48. Let's read this verse together. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes because for them, all they needed to do was obey the laws inscribed in stone. But for us, the perfect law is the law of love. Love even to our enemies. And of course, easier said than done. I understand this. Our enemies are enemies for a reason. We rightfully hate them. Why? Because they have hurt us. They have betrayed us. They have stabbed us in the back. They have have purposefully and maliciously gone after us. And so maybe to preserve ourselves. Maybe we don't hate them personally. We hate them professionally. I don't know which one is is worse. But we keep them at arm's length because we want to preserve ourselves. We We want to survive. Okay? But let me tell you, that the beast of sin is not most effective when we are evil. When we want evil on somebody, it's most effective when we are seeking our own good. It is most effective when we are seeking the good of our friends. It's most effective when we are seeking justice. When we want to avenge ourselves on our enemies, how else would they know they are wrong? How else would they know not to mess with us? We must avenge ourselves on them. Be careful. The beast of sin crouches at your door. When we want to give the, our just desserts, get our just desserts. I deserve this. I worked so hard. I put, in, I put in all the energy. This guy didn't do anything. How can we get the, you know, I must go and get what I want. Beware. The beast of sin crouches at your heart and its desire is for you. And perhaps it's even justice. We want to do well for our friend. We see them bullied and exploited and we say, I will become the avenger. Beware. The beast of sin crouches at your door. And Jesus knew this, so he came to that door himself. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. You know, Jesus is not content to let us be dead to sin. He's not content just to let that beast of sin eternally crouch at our door and us to always give in to it. No. Jesus said, If it begins at the heart, I will begin at the heart. And so, he appears, maybe even beside the beast of sin, and he knocks on our door. And say, Don't listen to that beast. Let me in. You know, it's not easy.
1: <laughs>
0: it is not easy. Having this choice to let Jesus in is not easy. But that is the beauty and the miracle of this new covenant. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was very sinful. I love to lie. A lot of sins, all right? And I would love to tell you all that once I accepted Jesus into my heart, when I went and I responded to the outer call, I lift my hands and I said, like, yes, now all I want to do, I desire every day only to meditate on your laws and do it. I desire everything, Lord. Follow every commandment. Every little jot and tittle I will keep. Do you think that was me? See, see me no other. But you are right. I was not like that at all. Immediately after giving you my life, I was like, Well, that means I can do things. Right? I want I continued to sin. I continued to listen to the beast of sin. But do you know what changed? Now every time I wanted to sin, right? Cock cock cock. I'm still here. That's what Jesus would do. Every time I choose to give in to whatever sin of the day, maybe lying, maybe cheating, maybe stealing, cock, cock, cock. I'm still here. He didn't force his way in. He just reminded me, I'm still here. Whenever you want to open the door, I'll come in. And that is the miracle of the new covenant. Now we have a choice. We no longer need to listen to the beast of sin, we can listen to the law of love, knocking at the doors of our hearts. So I come back to the question that I started this sermon with. Do you want to live a life like Jesus? You know, and I'll give you the answer that I gave this rich man. So back to the scene, right? We were sitting down there. I was staring his eyes. I was literally doing this. And then... It went on for a good 15, 20 seconds. It became awkward, let's just say. And uh, I said, yes, yes, I want that. And the guy, he was like, huh? I think he thought like, I didn't hear him correctly. So he said, you want to be poor your whole life? You want to be persecuted your whole life and then tortured to death on the cross? And I was like, yes, yes, I want that. And he thought, I think he thought I was just jerking his chain. But he, and, 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 I, and he, said, he said something else, but that's not, not important. He thought I was just jerking his chain. But you know why I said that? Because what he said is true. It's true, it's all true. Jesus' life was filled with poverty, filled with persecution and pain and death. But do you know what it was also filled with? Every moment, every second, it was filled with love. The law of love reigned in the life of Jesus. In fact, he showed it a new way, a better way, an excellent way to live and love. To live is love. And Jesus showed it perfectly. You know, this was seen even in his worst hours. When Jesus was at Gethsemane and He was sweating and crying blood. What did he say? Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. Even in his suffering, Jesus loved the Father. When he was half beaten to death and carrying the cross across Jerusalem, the daughters of Jerusalem were weeping for him. And did he say, Oh, so heavy, wow, so painful. No, he didn't. He looked to the daughters of Jerusalem and said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not cry for me. Cry for your children. Even in his pain, he loved the daughters of Jerusalem. And as he hung on that cross, even in the hours of his death, suffocating to death and pain-wracking his body, when the thief said to him, Lord, remember when... Me, when you come into your kingdom, what did Jesus say? This thief deserved everything that Jesus was suffering. And Jesus looked at him and said, Assuredly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Even in the hour of his death, Jesus loved the sinner. His life full of love. You know what poverty, pain, persecution and death could not rob from Jesus? Jesus. Love, And this love would resurrect him after three days and raise him to the right hand of God. And that is why maybe you today can also answer, do you want to live a life like Jesus? Because to be his disciple, we must do what he did, not just live in the house he built. If your answer is yes, Or, if you're saying, wow, Pastor Andrew, that's a lot. I need to know a bit more before I give my everything. Well, how we can do it is here. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. As I read that once again, I would like to ask us to read the red text with me, okay? Okay, so let's go. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and when the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, it fell, and great was its fall. to live by this law of love and to receive the love of Christ in every moment of our day, we must do as Jesus did. We must fulfill the law. And not just the Mosaic law, but the perfect law of God, which Christ is inscribing on our hearts. Thankfully, in our passage today in Matthew 5, what we have is a pattern. And that pattern is this, of doing the opposite. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, all, of, uh, all of these sins exist in my heart. La. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, gluttony, gluttony. Uh, wrath and sloth, right? Every, at different points of time and usually in different contexts. Uh, some pride, you know, when I'm talking to somebody about the Bible, uh, about the Bible, pride come up, you know. Well, Andrew. So what do I do? right? Maybe I thank somebody for sharing. Actually, I wanted, never mind. I wanted to share something that, some, that a 19-year-old shared with me about this. And I think I'll, I'll share it now. Last Thursday, I was at a prayer meeting, and this 19-year-old, when she heard that Jesus knocked at the door of our hearts, right, she had this picture and she shared it, right? And for me, uh, I had never thought about this. She amazed me. I was like, that's a sermon illustration. This sermon So and what the picture she gave was that our hearts are like our hearts have layers. Right? And when we ask Jesus to come in, what he does is he comes in, he comes in and makes a home in our hearts. Her name is Annie, by the way. He comes in, Anna, sorry. He comes in and every level he starts to clean it. He starts to throw out all the garbage and he makes him his home in every level of our heart. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And when it's clean, that heart now pumps the love of Christ. No longer the desires of sin into every extremity of our body. Our fingers, our toes, our fingernails, our hair, everything filled with the love of Christ. That's a beautiful point. And that's what happens when we invite Christ into our hearts. And you may be saying, oh, that sounds so simple, you know. You just, when you feel like sinning, you say, no, don't sin. Doesn't really work that way. But what I am saying is that we can start small. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, there is this one parable. It says, the kingdom of God is like mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds in the field. When it's sown in the ground, it grows into a great bush. And it becomes a home for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And what this parable is telling us firstly is that it just starts small. You know what? When, I, when I'm angry with my wife, immediately the words want to come up. And you all heard this before, right? So maybe, uh, maybe I just start small. Maybe when the words want to shoot from the teeth, I say, count five. Count five. Count to five. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Praise the Lord Jesus. Now is the time. Come up. Okay. Small step. Huh? Next time, count to 10. Next time, count to 15. Next time, count to 30. And suddenly, the kingdom of God makes becomes present in your heart from five seconds to five minutes. And of course, it takes time for a seed to grow, you know, from a small seed to a big bush. A lot of times we feel like we put in the work, we can't see it happening, I count to five, I count to 30, I count to 50, I still got 50 things to say. That's because the work is not yours. No matter how many disciplines you have, how much You know, how much gumption you put in. You cannot change your heart. That is not the ministry of man. That is the ministry of God. But we can be patient. We can continue to plough. We can continue to sow. We can continue to fertilize our ground. And as we do so, although somebody waters and somebody plants, God will give the increase. He will increase His kingdom of God in your heart. He will change your whole heart because the work is the Lord's. The battle is His and He will give us His victory. You know, St. Augustine put it best when he said, the God who created you without you wills not to save you without you. God loves you so much that although He wants to save you, He wants to do it with you. Whatever little you put in, whatever eggs, is, two fish or five loaves, God will make sure that through it, your victory, His victory, will come through your heart. And so, that's really the story that we have today of Jesus and the law. Jesus wants to perfect His law in our hearts, to wipe out the beast of sin through a bit of our effort, but a lot of His. And what can we do? As a community here, well, we can do a small thing. And that small thing is to maybe commit ourselves as one body to follow the laws of God. To do that, I have the Ten Commandments here, right? And I would like to invite all of us to rise. As I read out the Ten Commandments to us, what I would like for us to do is respond as one body. Right, so when I read out the first uh, commandment, I want us to respond, let's say this together. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Of course, I'm going to read out all 10. So uh, let let us mean it as we say, okay? So I'm going to start now. Church, hear these commandments which God has given to his people and take them to heart. The first is this, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Lord, have mercy upon us. Incline our hearts to keep this. You shall not bow down to any graven image. Lord, have mercy upon us. and Incline our hearts to keep this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Lord, have mercy upon us. Mercy to keep this. Remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. Lord, Mercy upon us. us. Honor your father and your mother. Lord, have mercy upon us. And incline our hearts. You shall not commit murder. Lord, have mercy upon us. us. You shall not commit adultery. Lord, have mercy upon us. Incline our hearts to keep this law. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet anything. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts. Keep this. Let us sing this song of response.
1: Come and be my exceedingly great reward. You're the treasure
0: The strength. Give us the faith and the will, the love to follow your every footsteps. Help us live a life not for ourselves but for you, O oh Lord. And Lord in return we only ask fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit that Lord when the world may look at us, they may see the love of Christ. And Lord, they, that they would praise your name as they do. So Lord, as we leave this place, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us your power and help us help us follow your law of love. And Lord, may the world live to see your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. God bless you. And may the, love,
1: may the law of love follow you wherever you go.